Welcome back to the Elite Football Show. We're back for another week of fancy football. Um, we lost a week there with the internationals, but it's good to be back. And today there's a new face with us. We have Rob Blanchett, who is joining us, and then my regular kind of co-host, Hater. How are you doing today, boys? Not bad at all. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm doing good. What about yourself, Rob? Yeah, good. Thanks, Kieran. Yeah, no, it's good. There's been a lot of news over kind of the past week because, again, it's been a while since the last kind of game week. Um, There's a couple of important snippets that came out today from the manager press conferences. I think the main one that I picked out that we're going to we'll discuss at the start is Kevin De Bruyne missing the game for Manchester City. How big a loss is that both for Manchester City and in turn for fantasy owners? I'll start with you, Rob. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, I brought De Bruyne in last week, obviously after Manchester City's protracted start to the season where they obviously didn't have a fixture like United in it on game week one. Um, so for me, that has been a huge trigger this week and it's made me use my wild card and I've restructured my team around the fact that De Bruyne, he's definitely not going to be available obviously this week, but we're hearing it could be more than two, three, four weeks. It's unknown at the moment and we do know that when De Bruyne gets injured, he's normally out for a few weeks rather than just one. Yeah, that's the unfortunate part. Hayter, I think you're one of the lucky ones that doesn't have Kevin De Bruyne on your team, so you don't have to rejig your team too much. How big of a loss is it for Man City when you look at this big game coming up, especially after the last couple of weeks where they've stumbled a little bit? It's huge. Um, City are a team that I've actually avoided apart from Mares. I think Mares has been the one for me that looks the most dangerous. When you're looking at City's team going in, no Aguero, possibly no Jesus as well. So there's three big attacking players that are out. So I think I, I had my bets on De Bruyne to be very, very, well, very, very good this year. I expect him to pick up a lot of points, but it just hasn't really happened for him. So for me, it's not a big loss. And when I look at my team, I'm quite happy with my midfield options. But I think for a lot of people, it's massive restructuring. But we'll talk about it later. There are quite a few options you can bring in who are actually cheaper and who are getting the returns that you need. Yeah, there was a couple of other snippets that kind of came out of that same press conference where Pep mentioned that Aguero was back in training. He also mentioned that Jesus wasn't going to be back for a couple more weeks. He, he didn't exactly give the time frame for it, but he said because it's a muscle injury, he does. it's not one of them that you're going to rush back from. With Aguero coming back into training, when we look at um, Jose Mourinho's press conference, he said that Gareth Bale is back in training. When do we think that fans should start to incorporate them into their fantasy teams, Rob? Well, I always say that game week six is the time to start looking at wildcard options and maybe changing your team around for the direction going into Christmas. So we're nearly there. And I think because of the strange start to the Premier League in terms of the scheduling, it might be brought forward for one or two people, you know, in terms of weeks. So that's how I felt this week. Normally, I would sit on my options until game week six, seven or eight, and then go for the big wildcard change. But we're in different times, aren't we? And it means that you have to have a slightly different strategy. What we have seen, obviously, has been lots of goals scored at the start of this season and lots of teams who normally keep clean sheets, keeping nothing resembling clean sheets. So it might be the time to jump now. But I could understand if people, if they've still got options that they're happy with from their first few weeks, that they hold on just a bit longer. 
Very good. There's been a couple of things. I noted down just some of the kind of key players that I think people spoke about in fantasy and kind of they came up today. So Lamptey was supposed to be back in training. That's good for kind of that cheaper option in defence. Arsenal fans will be thinking about, do I look at putting our new signing Thomas Partey in? He's supposed to come in. Again, It's in, that's another option um Tierney according to I think it was the Scottish Sun where is supposed to be back even though he got that um contusion to his head um Lo Celso and Topanga are both out for Spurs this week so anyone with Lo Celso will probably have to kind of incorporate that into their lineups we saw with Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's press conference they said that Harry Maguire picked up a bit, a bit of a nick um now knowing if that's completely true we'll we'll have to dive into a little bit we saw again we kind of pep that sterling kind of hobbled a little bit with england as well um we have jay rodriguez back for burnley and then for liverpool mané is the important one who's back and also tiago alcantara is back too so a couple of big names there that we have hater um is there any of those that with kind of their availability or if they're not available this week do any of them stick out to you for this week you missed out a few key ones from chelsea uh chillwell was from the england squad but it looks like he, he's in the squad lampard's announced that pulisic fit as well and zx in the squad so that especially christian pulisic if you think about it he was a player for me last season that really made i think he was a big differential for for uh, i think everyone mainly Chelsea fans. So he's one I'd be looking out for. I think another player, I'm not sure on Mane. I, I don't think we really can assess. It's funny because it depends whether you're going to be looking at the effects of COVID or not. I'm playing the game, not really looking at the effects of COVID. I've just carried on playing how I play every year. And I know that sounds a bit silly, but at the moment it hasn't really gone into my head about what what transfers I'm going to make. It sounds crazy because obviously the whole world's on shutdown. <laughs> Um, but a few others, uh, Johnny Evans, abdominal pain uh, from the internet of coming back from the international fixtures. Vardy with a calf problem, although he's said to be about 75% likely to play. Dennis Pratt is a doubt. Um, the big one for me, being a United fan, is seeing that Sir Maximan has been declared fit. So I think that's he's always an option in midfield who's a bit cheaper. Um, and then possibly Alex Tellez, he's in contention. He only played 34 minutes during the uh the international fixtures but um i'm not too sure if he's going to play we'll talk about that a little bit later but the one that stands out to me it, it has to be Mane. but i'm not sure if he's going to play obviously we don't know the you can say with a leg injury for example you know how he's going to recover but we don't know we don't know the effects obviously internally of what covid's done so some big players coming back um biggest one is Maguire, possibly doubtful so we'll just have to wait and see yeah it's a big one and just to kind of carry on from what you said with Alex Tellers there the international break there was a lot of differences there we had some some teams that didn't lose some of their key players so for example Son didn't have a match for Korea you had the likes of Salah who didn't have to play for Egypt we had some teams that were just in the Nations League all in Europe then there was others that played both in the Nations League, but also as the European qualifiers, as we saw with some of the players from Northern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, you saw Scotland. So, for example, McTominay would have been one of those players. And the issue for me that I saw there is they ended up playing most of those players that were with those teams, played over 300 minutes over kind of the last 10 days or so. How impactful do you think that they 
international break will have on some of these players coming back, Rob? It always does. And it's one of the biggest differentials after the international break. You have to see where the guys are traveling to and where they're coming back and what kind of timings that that alludes to. The issue is not minutes played. The issue is the traveling. So the guys, like you just said there, Tellez, who, who obviously played only 34 minutes or so as a sub for um, for Brazil, the issue for him is the traveling. And it's always that. It comes down to that. And that's how managers look at it because the sports science tells them that if they've traveled even without game time, that there's a recovery period after that. Now, quite often it does depend on what the game is. So, for instance, talking about Liverpool there and Everton, it's a derby. I think you're going to see players play in that situation because it's so big. It's too big a game to kind of turn down and to maybe bench players. But there will be an issue, as for instance, for say someone like James Rodriguez, who has played so well and people are looking at bringing him into their teams. You know, he, he's just had this big, long journey all the way back to the UK. Is he going to be sat on the bench and brought on after half time at some point? That's a big call for most fancy league managers. But what you do know is obviously that Hammers is going to give you those points in the weeks to come. So I don't think people will be too worried about bringing players in and out of their squads. But it will decide who starts these games this weekend. Yeah, that's a big one with the Hammers Rodriguez one hater because not only has he only come back to Everton on the Thursday, I believe. But they also are the early game on the Saturday, which has a big impact because maybe if it was a four o'clock kickoff on the Sunday or a Monday game, you wouldn't have to worry about James playing or even the likes of Yerry Mina playing for Everton. But now you kind of have to question how ready would they be for a 12 o'clock game on a Saturday? Yeah, absolutely. How many times have we seen United play that 12 o'clock game? I can always think of it when United played Everton, I think a couple of years ago and it was it was really difficult and that's the issue isn't it that those extra day or two of rest let's say for the sunday or monday fixture actually makes a huge amount of difference it's something i didn't consider until i spoke to rob earlier and then i also started looking at my own side because i thought james has been one of the top performers and we'll go through a bit more of his statistics later but when you look at the south americans james uh, Richarlison, so that's two players in Everton's side who will be playing the early kickoff. Firmino will play the early kickoff. He's another one. Obviously, Tellez is one. But also, you can't discount the fact that England, Scotland, Republic of Ireland, Belgium, Italy, and France all played on Wednesday evening. So there are players there. For example, you look at Wijnaldum uh, at Liverpool. He played a huge amount of the games. I mean, he played nearly, nearly 200 minutes. So he's a quite a key player. And you look at Firmino, played 140 minutes. And couple that with obviously the traveling time it's got to be taken into consideration so i think for me i don't have a wild card because i used it a couple of weeks ago and i use it really badly really really bad and i never ever jump the gun on my wild card i actually leave it very sort of near christmas time that's been my strategy and it works um so yeah looking looking at south american players i think james will play i think richardson will play and i think Firmino will play tellers i'm not too sure for united i think it might be a game too soon i throw him in but um i'm not in charge of support science so yeah yeah it's, it's a difficult one even there look i think tellers is probably a different animal because he hasn't played with the team already but I think Everton would be a lot happier as if they had the kickoff time that United have, which is the 8 o'clock at night on the Saturday instead of the 12. 
In terms of when we've seen these players coming back from international duty, who do you think that the toll does it take more on? Is it the defence or kind of the more flair or attacking players, Rob? To tell you the truth, it's across the squad because it's it's not really about the playing minutes. Like we will say about guys when they're playing, you know, 90 minutes in Ecuador, Ecuador is at altitude, it takes more out of you. But it's actually being in Ecuador that's the issue. It's not the game, it's not the 90 minutes, it's the travelling, it's the being at altitude for your, for your daily routines and then obviously getting on a plane and travelling a great long distance back to Europe. So I think that that's, that's really more about it. So when fancy league managers are looking at their own teams and looking at their players, it will affect a, a goalkeeper or a defender or a midfielder or an attacker all exactly the same. And that's how Premier League teams look at it as well. They will be looking at how far has this guy travelled and will I get the most out of him in the next game? Now, the next game might be if it's a derby, like the Merseyside derby, you might see James Rodriguez play simply because of that. However, if they were playing Crystal Palace or a Burnley or a team maybe outside of the top half, then it could be a case that he sits on the bench and just gives 20 minutes. So big decisions for these Premier League managers, but we do see a pattern every international break where these guys are just not quite ready. They're just off their best. And if you're not 100%, most Premier League managers will give you a rest and put you on the bench and just use you sparingly. Yeah, absolutely. Hayter, we've seen quite a lot of stories in recent times, especially we saw a couple of small outbreaks of the virus kind of hit some international teams. You've heard a lot of managers kind of come out and kind of say that there's no reason to be playing some of these international friendlies. It's affecting the team because essentially you're going from one bubble to another and then bringing them back and then hoping that nobody has been infected. Like we saw Cristiano Ronaldo tested positive. And I think there's been a, a lot of Manchester United fans worried about, well, will Bruno be able to play in the next couple of games? Both for, on a, in a fantasy perspective, how difficult do you think that is for kind of managers to kind of have to deal with with their players, especially in the times that we're in now, having to deal with some of these players come back, especially when you come from a side in Portugal that has had one of their players test positive? It's massive. I'm I'm really surprised. I mean, sort of stepping away from just the fantasy aspect, I'm just shocked that they've even gone ahead with these internationals. I mean, I believe some of them were friendlies as well. So I just don't understand the thinking behind it. We've seen, obviously, Ronaldo's tested positive. So a lot of people were worried about Bruno. I mean, I don't even know the rules. I don't even think the government know the rules and what's going on, to be honest. But you see, like, off the pitch, obviously, they're not staying two metres apart or whatever it is. So... It's massive. I think as well, Oli would be pulling his hair out because you're looking over and Bruno's a very, very key player. Yes, we have other options, but if you're losing Bruno, that's that's huge to United's run of games. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a little bit I'm a little bit surprised international break has been going on, but at the end of the day, then I, I'm surprised they haven't stopped the season as well. They stopped the season last time, so obviously there's a monetary thing involved there. I'm sure Rob could probably uh, shed a little bit of light on that, but they're not going to stop, and that's something that's quite surprising I mean, even you just look at the rugby the other day i think it's uh london wasps well they're not called london wasps anymore because obviously not in london but they had i think 10 uh people in the squad and the playing staff uh, sorry coaching staff they were tested positive and they've got a final against exeter coming up so that's still going ahead so it seems to me that 
there isn't really a consistency on that. But um, no, I think managers will be very stressed about it, rightly so. And it does really, it really does put, you know, sort of issues when you're selecting your team. Yeah. What about yourself, Rob? How do you feel about in terms of these internationals, especially, look, I completely understand European qualifiers or World Cup qualifiers, but when you have some of these friendlies taking place and you're kind of, these club managers are having to let their players go where they could be potentially exposed to the virus when before they had it kind of under control. How do you think that a lot of kind of the managers feel when they get these players coming back, not knowing if they've been exposed to the to the virus since they've been gone? Well, first and foremost, it's wrong. They shouldn't be having these international breaks at all. Um, when we wrote initially during the lockdown about what we thought the Premier League should do in terms of bubbles, and at that time, the NBA were also discussing what they do to restart their seasons. Um, for us, it was to obviously make sure that the health and safety aspects were all in place. And I think most of us just believed from what we'd heard that with the new season, that the international calendar would be slimmed down or cancelled so the domestic leagues could catch up once again and start playing. What we've seen is these bubbles working successfully in the Premier League, players then being sent away to play for their country, where maybe the, the quality of the health and safety rules are not as stringent. And then obviously players coming back with COVID or having to at least be in quarantine. It's a joke, you know, and we've said this very, very early on, that these uh, these factors had to stay in check with a second wave coming. It was We always knew that we'd get to this time of year and October, November, December going into the winter months would be really, really troublesome as far as COVID goes. And what have we seen? We've seen international bodies force the, Europe, uh, force the, Na the Nations League on the world. So... You know, is that important? No, it's all about TV deals. It's all about money. We understand that these things need to carry on and continue to an extent. But it's it's just a, a huge issue when you think that there's another uh, international break scheduled for November. And no doubt COVID will have increased in the UK by that time again. And we will be saying, what happens to our players? Do they go abroad and come back and potentially bring the disease with them? Or is it the other way around? Do they get the disease here in England and take it to their country of origin? Which is very, very difficult to kind of uh, ascertain now. But we do know it's going to be a problem. And really, FIFA and UEFA should be putting more safeguards in place to protect the players. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's You just have to look at even the French under-21s. I think there was six or seven of that squad that came back to that tested positive one of the kind of key players there was Kunde for Sevilla, who's tested positive. That's a that's a big thing for Sevilla now because when they have to they have to play, they'll be missing one of their main defenders. Um, I see there's a couple of the lads in the chat there. Hey Mark, he's saying hello to you three ballers, and then also Reese is in the chat, just say hello for you as well. So the last couple of weeks for um fantasy has been really it's been crazy to be honest a lot of the players you expect like you said before rob that you brought in de bruyne i did the same everyone expected him to kind of be that more attacking presence against leeds united and we didn't really see much and now gets injured but the amount of goals that we saw last week or the previous week and really overall in fantasy 
it's insane. We saw the 7-2 win for Aston Villa, and we saw the 6-1 win for uh, Spurs against United. So I'm going to start with you, Hayter, because I think we've spoken about the United game a lot, so I'm going to get you to start with the Aston Villa and Liverpool game. Can you trust any of these Aston Villa players to kind of continue that, or is that just kind of a once-off game where they maybe caught Liverpool cold or knew where to kind of attack them? Or can do you think you can keep on believing in the likes of Jack Grealish, Ollie Watkins, and the rest of the guys that have been playing quite well over the last couple of weeks? It's funny because while I was recording a podcast of Rob straight after the Spurs game, we, we missed the Villa versus Liverpool game. And uh, people in the comments kept on saying, and I could see them, someone was saying 5-0, 5-1. And then I, I told Rob near the end, and Rob was like, what? No, no way. Uh, he didn't believe it. But um, look, uh, the sort of the triple whammy, because obviously United got smashed. And then the other triple, well, sorry, the double whammy is that I had Grealish on the bench and he got 24 points. Um so, no, look, I, I can definitely trust Jack Grealish. Um, and I'll go on Grealish in a second, but start with Ollie Watkins because rated at 5.9 million or valued at 5.9 million, which is fantastic value, definitely a differential going forward. Um, and just a few things. Since making his debut in game week two, he's the joint, uh, he's joint fourth for um, shots in the box, joint second for second big chances created, and third for chances created amongst the forwards, which suggests that... He's someone who can score an assist and points should arrive in those uh, two areas. Uh, I look at the fixtures as well, and this also counts for Grealish. Obviously, they play for the same team. Leicester, Leeds, Southampton, Arsenal, and Brighton, Hove, Albion. I mean, that's a really nice run of fixtures, especially with Leicester without Sun Chu as well. I think that's a really, really interesting and enticing differential for, for you know, for, for anyone, really. But um, looking at Grealish as well, I was really stepping away from fantasy football i was intrigued to see how he would play or how he would be mentally because obviously he didn't get the move he wanted he signed a new contract he's never struck me as someone who throws his toys out the pram it's his boyhood club he's got relegated with them he didn't get a move to spurs when he's in the championship he's been fantastic he's a player that i really wish we'd, we'd gone in for the price was a problem but looking at him now this season already three goals three assists three bonus points his returns are fantastic there. He's out doing the likes of people like De Bruyne, Bruno, uh, you know, players who we all thought would be scoring big points very early on, very early on in the season. But I was intrigued to see what he'd look like with more quality around him. I like the look of him and Ross Barkley together, small sample size, but I think Ross Barkley will actually, in some ways make him more creative because he won't always be the sole focal point of that team. And with someone like Watkins, who, I haven't seen enough of, so I can't really comment. But what, from what I've seen, he's obviously he's quick. He can he can shoot with both feet. He's good in the air. So something that's very interesting. The last point I'll make on Grealish, I'm going to put my bets down on Grealish. I'm going to keep him in for that run, possibly give him that three, four game run to see how he does again. But he's fifth in the ICT index in the top five. So that is influence, which is impact on the match, creativity, which is producing um you know chances for other people and then threat most likely to score goals so he's fifth out of everybody which is phenomenal for a midfielder as well so i think with Grealish 100% I'd keep him in i haven't got Watkins in but he's definitely an option if you wanted a cheaper striker or a differential option yeah absolutely to kind of 
go on what you're saying with the ICT index there. I was looking at it earlier, and you, even if you just take the midfielders, he's ranked third. So it's one of those that you do need to look at kind of some of these creative players because then they're more likely to get you a goal or assist or maybe get some form of bonus point within their within their side. So it's always a good option. You look at Ollie Watkins in week four, he ranks seventh in the ICT index as well. So sometimes it's a good idea to kind of look at that, see how involved are they in the actual game to see how impactful that they could be. Kind of this, on the same kind of topic there, Rob, how impressed were you by Villa in even just the last couple of games? Because they've already got their nine points, which last season, if you said that they would have been able to beat Liverpool 7-2, I think people say you're dreaming. But again, it happened. So what do you what, what do you think of some of the Villa players so far in the start of the season? Yeah, obviously 7-2 against Liverpool is a historical result. You know, it's a, a fantastic performance and it's not something anyone could have predicted. What I will do is I'll state the case against Jack Grealish. Um, for me, obviously, he is a creative. We know what he can do. He did go last season, obviously, being Villa's most creative player. But along with that, he went 21 games without scoring in a row. So he does have cold patches. It does depend. Obviously, Villa were going for quite a bad patch last year, but they've strengthened in the key areas this year. What I will say is this, that when you're looking for FPL of buying into a team, maybe that's performing and you're maybe looking at one or two, Grealish will, for me in Aston Villa would be three because the two players I would go for at this moment of time are Ross Barkley and Watkins. They're the two who've got the most upside in terms of value and their prices. Uh, Grealish is still kind of mid-range player, but if you were going to bring him in, you would almost definitely have to sacrifice a certain amount of funds in your defence or your attack, or maybe even for your, your bench option for your midfielder, you might have to go all the way down to a four, 4.5 million pound player who might not even get you two points for a start. So that's the way I look at Villa. I think that they're going to have a much better season this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they're mid-table, a mid-table would mean that all of their assets bring back better fantasy returns. But at the moment, the two players that I think you would go for, for me, number one is Barkley. I think he's something like 5.9 million. It's incredible value. And obviously Watkins, when you look at the, the quality in the attacking ranks this year across the Premier League, he wouldn't be in my first three players, but he would probably be fourth or fifth or, or a future option if he continues scoring. I don't think we should probably look at a hat-trick against Liverpool as an indicator of anything. It's a freak result. It's amazing. You know, 7-2, great day out for, for Aston Villa to, to kind of say that they had this fantastic game against the champions. But ultimately, they are a better team, but there are more obvious options at the moment. And Grealish, you know, he, he could go on, couldn't he, and have a fantastic season and and be hugely influential. Last year, he was the most fouled player in the Premier League. And people say, oh, that, that means something. To me, it means he holds onto the ball too long. Yeah, he holds the ball too yeah. long and he gets tackled and he gets fouled. So for me, I would want to see him yeah. get the ball off quicker, get an assist, maybe score some more goals, get in the box a little bit more rather than drifting wide left. And and we know that he can produce numbers. It's just a case of whether his consistency is there. He is going to be man-marked now in every game Aston Villa play. And, yeah. and whoever the best man marker is in the opposition, they're going to be there to stop Jack Grealish being on the ball. So that could affect his fantasy numbers going forward. Yeah, to piggyback off on the kind of the fouls element of it, do you think the likes of bring in 
Ross Barkley kind of helps him with that so he doesn't have to hold on to the ball too long, that he has someone in beside him that he can play it to that's also creative in that Villa side? Possibly. You've got to look at position on the pitch and where they play. So Grealish tends not to play in a dangerous area of the pitch to start off with. He can obviously come in towards the penalty box, play the final ball, get you an assist, get you the odd goal. But Barkley's going to play as the number 10. So Barkley's going to be almost in the striking positions for most of the match when Villa are going forward. He is going to be the player that gets the points this year. That's the way I look at it. Uh, it doesn't mean that Grealish won't re- have returns, but I always try and look at value and I always try and look at how much a player is worth and then equate that to points. Every now and then you'll have someone like Salah, you know, 12.3 million. He's value at 12.3 million because of his returns. But this year you look at, say, someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold, Liverpool went, even last year when they were winning the title, they went multiple games without clean sheets in the first 20 games of the season. I think they only had one clean sheet in 16 or 15 or something like that. I think we're hearing Alisson might have a knock as well now, so that will affect that. He's 7.5 million. Is he now value? Last season, yes, towards the end of the season, with all the goals and assists, he's obviously a hugely productive player. Is he the right player now? Not for me. There's much better players at around the five or six million mark who will also get assists. And you have to look at it for Jack Grealish as well. You know, is Jack Grealish really going to give you the numbers that that his price value dictates? And for me at the moment, it's a no. Yeah, that's an interesting one. The idea of all these value players that we have, some that are at the high prices and like we said with Salah has been worth the value there. One other player that I want to kind of bring up because he was a, one of the better players against Man United was uh, Son. So, Hayter, how, how valuable do you think he is? Because a lot of people are having to choose between Son and Harry Kane. And it seems early on that it's been Harry Kane setting up Son rather than the opposite way around. Do you think that Son has become one of those players that you kind of need to be having into your team be- just simply because of the amount of points he's getting now? This, I've been battling with this all day while crunching the numbers. Uh, and I just I keep on going to and from. Is he the, the thing is, both him and Kane are massively overperforming. I think that's what's got to be remembered. You look at Kane, nine returns in four games, and Son, seven in, in four games. And you look at, look at Kane, six assists from 0.5 expected assists, Son, six goals from 1.81 expected goals. So they're massively overperforming. Now, is it sustainable? That's the most obvious question. I, I'm i really toying with it. I had Son in. I took him out because I thought he was injured. Jose did me dirty there, so you know he's, he's not on the Christmas list this year. But um, Son overperforms. I was looking at sort of expected goals. Every season, he's overperforming. And right now, he is massively overperforming. But when you look at the price of 9.1, if someone has De Bruyne, they, that's the most obvious transfer to make with you know, that extra 1.5 million they've got to spend. I, I'm I'm just looking at the fixtures and I'm thinking West Ham next, which is, they're in great form, but it's a winnable game. Burnley, again, they're not, not playing particularly well. Brighton are leaking goals. West Brom are shaky at the back. The You know, Spurs could see themselves in a very, very comfortable position come the end of these four fixtures. So I think one of the, one of the positive things about having Son, obviously the price, but also he's getting in really good positions. Kane is coming deeper. Um, are they essential? That's the question. I, I just think that 
the way Jose Mourinho's teams played. Do you remember a few years ago when he won the league with Chelsea? And they started off very, very fast. And as Christmas came, because when the fixtures pack up, Jose will shut up shop. And then the goals, I think, will dry up. I think for me at the moment, Son definitely is. You've got to have one or the other. Um, but what I worry about is the fact that when Bale comes back in, does that take some focus off Son? So looking at it at the moment, Regulon is someone that is going to be much more beneficial to Spurs. He can get up and down the wing. Hoiberg's made them more solid. I'd say one of them you've got to have in your side. But um, yeah, I've got neither at the moment. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one. And just because of you mentioning Gareth Bale there, there was something that Mourinho said in his press conference today that there'll be a time when Son, Harry Kane and Bale will all play. There could be a time when Bale and Son don't play because they're... Spurs are one of those teams this year that do have to play a lot of games. So it's it's going to be very tricky. <laughs> That's a good point there that Mark makes. Is he overperforming if he does it every year? I guess you have to look at the context of each year. And before it was really Harry Kane and Son were the main men. Now, by bringing in somebody like Gareth Bale that is going to garner more attention, does that free up Son or Harry Kane? It's a, it's a tricky one to deal with. If you were, if you own Son or Harry Kane, Rob, how would you treat this going forward, especially with the likelihood that Mourinho will probably in- incorporate Bale over kind of the next coming weeks? Well, I just played my wild card and I've both got Son and I've got Harry Kane. Okay. Why, Why have I done that? Well, the, nu- the numbers are actually pretty clear, Haydar. You know, they're not overperforming. This is pretty much what they put out every season. These two players, when Tottenham play well and Tottenham win, these two players score and assist. As you said, Kane in the past hasn't had the assist numbers, but under under Mourinho, we are seeing him drop into the number 10 role more, which means he's creating more. We saw it with England as well the other night. So I brought these two players in because not just because of the impact that they can give you, but it also still allows you to have other premium players in other, other positions. So for the first time ever, Harry Kane at 10.9 million, which is cheap for Harry Kane. He's been really at the top end of the scale value when it comes to strikers for many years, for obvious reasons. It allows me still to play Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Danny Ings with Harry Kane. Now, as far as I'm concerned, that's as probably as elite front three that you can get in, prem- in fancy Premier League. And if they were your front three in the Premier League themselves, I think you'd be challenging for a title. But the other thing that Sun gives you, because of his decreased value and obviously playing around with the, the Liverpool and City differentials, if you take De Bruyne out of your team, it then means you can go into other markets of players that are playing really well at the moment. And the two players that I've gone for in there, along with Sun, have been Ross Barkley, who we've just spoken about. But I've also still been able to play Salah in there. He's still in my team. And it means that you can still have attacking players who are starters from other clubs. So uh, you talked about some uh, some Maximone earlier on, and it means that you can have a good balance. It means that you've got multiple options every week to score points. And it also means that you don't have to rely on Liverpool and City assets that I think have been the driving factor of the last two or three seasons. Mares has been the big differential from last year, even when Sterling and De Bruyne were scoring points in the past two seasons, because even when he's on the bench, he comes on and gets an assist. So it's about playing the numbers across the board. And that's why someone like Jack Grealish doesn't seem 
particularly fanciful for me because his long-term numbers are not there. And I always look for at least six game impacts. I'm not looking for next week or the week after. Quite often you'll see, you know, Everton uh, playing Liverpool this week and that will put a lot of FPL players off their players. However, my fifth midfielder in the bunch I just told you there is Hamas Rodriguez. So I have those five across there with that front three as well. I'm just trying to think how you've done that, Rob. I, I can't. It's magic. Like, it's first of all, it's the way I use. I use FPL honestly, magic. It's a I thing that I've uh, I've acquired over the years. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, but, but it, it is crunching numbers, and it's it's how do you, how do you make the the transfer sums work for you? Uh, for me this year, I have gone a little bit lighter and cheaper on my defenders. So I have two four million pound players in there who are starters. Uh, I've also been able to bring in a four point five million pound player. And also have Castagna there for, for Leicester is obviously getting assists and uh, is a huge goal threat going forward for, for creation. Um, and that's how I've done it this year. I've just kind of juggled where I want my money to, to work for me. And it's the first time ever I've had what I would call three premium strikers. And you've still got the option that if Brewster kicks off at Sheffield United at 4.5 million, very, very easy to lose Danny Ings at 8.5 million. Take him bank that four million in your pocket and then have all future weeks to be able to make big changes. Yeah, kind of going back on that, I think this has been an important issue that's come up in terms of the defence um, because at the start of the season, everybody was saying you need to have Trent Alexander-Arnold and you need to have Andy Robertson into your team, both of which are, I think it's Trent that's um, 7.5 million and Andy Roberts is, is 7. Now, I just want to kind of go through a couple of stats. Now, we know just how bad the defending has been, but just so we can see, there's been 3.79 goals scored per game. To compare it to some of the other higher years, we'll go back to 2018-2019 was 2.82. The 2011-2012, 2.81. And then 2016, 2017, 2.80. So again, you're seeing it's a big increase. There's only been 17 clean sheets in 76 Premier League games this season. That's insane. That just is that, is that the worst. Happen. Is that the worst ever return? I mean, I yeah. know there's not been a nil-nil yet as well. I've just, just jinxed it now, but um, <laughs> that's probably going to be the game. The Merseyside five of them will be nil-nil now. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, it's. From if you look it up, it's the most amount of goals that's been scored since the 1930s, which is ridiculous. And then in terms of the kind of goals per game, but the surprising statistic is actually that the shots have gone down, but the conversion rate has gone up. So what does that tell you? To me, it tells me that maybe more of the shots are not coming from outside of the box. There are better chances that people are having. And you can see it for yourself. Some of the defense just it hasn't been up to par. And I remember looking at a couple of games and you can't, you can't believe some of the defending that's happening is happening in professional football. It's, it's crazy. And that makes you think, well, what do you do with your defense? If so many teams are conceding so many goals, is it worth spending much in your defense? Uh, because... You just did your wild card this week, Rob. I'll start with you. Is it worth for fantasy players out there to spend any sort of decent money in their defence or should they save it for their midfield and their strikers? Well, it's a sit on the fence, yes or no, really. It depends on form, but also long-term projection. 
So for me, one of the players that I brought in from the start of the season was Mitchell at Crystal Palace. It was quite clear that he was a cheap inroad into a defence that can have patches of three or four games with clean sheets. So someone like Mitchell, who I think started off at four million, can give you returns of 12 points over five or six games. Now, you wouldn't normally get that from a four million pound player. So I, I think clean sheets are are a strange one because you could buy your way into defences like, say, Liverpool in the past year, and you would have got returns at the end of the season. However, if you bought into their defence early in the campaign, as I highlighted, they, they did go, I think I think it was 13 games about a clean sheet, first and foremost. And they did win all those games, but they were conceding goals, at the, whether it be one goal or two. If you went into their defence then, you would have probably lost points. However, if you'd invested in Trent Alexander-Arnold for the last 20, 25 games of the season, you'd have had huge returns from him. So that's the balancing point. Manchester City might come second in the league or even win a title this year, but their defence traditionally ships goals. So unless you have a fullback that gets a phenomenal amount of assist, and let's say, for instance, someone like Mendy comes good, an attacking fullback who, who can get numbers at the opposite end of the pitch. But if City start shipping goals they will really struggle. And that's reflected in the price of their defenders this year. You've seen that their core defenders have just come down a little bit because the temptation is to stay away from their defenders. And I have this year. I've stayed well away from their defence. So that's the balancing point. This year, we have a real plethora of midfielders who can score goals because of the changes. We've seen that players like Aubameyang drop into midfield, the reconstituting of centre-forwards who maybe play wide coming into the midfield zone. And that is really important for your, your wider planning. But then you've also got creators like James Rodriguez, who's going to not only get you goals, he's going to get you assists, he's going to get you man-of-the-match performances. He takes free kicks. He's, those set pieces are going to uh, bring goals, going to give him bigger uh, points differentials. And you have to look at those players, those creatives, that can do a little bit of everything and then maybe also get you the extra point with a clean sheet. So there's a lot of that this year, much more than previous years, when you might have just taken the bet on a strong defender who, you say Burnley in years gone by, you could have had three of the back four at Burnley and got got 6.6.6 points. Yeah, because you know that they might, they, they're going to draw nil-nil or win one-nil. I don't think we've got a team like that this year. You know, Wolves were that team previously as well. You could have gone at the back and got someone like Bodie or Connor Cody, or obviously Doherty now is at, at Tottenham. And you knew you were going to get clean sheets. I don't think there's any team at the moment that you can really gamble that on. Yeah, well, as our other friend has seemed to have dipped off or a little bit. Changing his team, isn't he? Yeah, he's changing his team now. But uh, oh, he's coming back just oh, in sorry, time. Guys, just he's dropped he's out. another wild card, just like that. Yeah, he's using his wild card. Okay, so we went through kind of that it's a good option that you could go for the cheaper players. But then when you look at Trent and you look at Andy Robertson, should you treat them as defenders or should they be treated more as will you get more from them than you will at maybe a 7 million midfielder and you have that extra kind of attacking presence in, in your team? What would you, what would your tactic be for this hater? I went with the tactic that you've got to have one of the two Liverpool fullbacks. I've steered clear of Van Dijk. I, I, you know, he does score goals. He scored about four last year, I think. But 
I've always thought you've got to get your fullbacks in there. The problem this year is that Liverpool, well, firstly, look how expensive Trent is, 7.5 million. That is, that's crazy for a defender. I don't remember a defender ever being that expensive. And his attacking output was fantastic last year. And as you said, both him and Robertson played more as, I suppose, as wingers rather than as fullbacks. But what we've seen so far, Liverpool looking shaky. I mean, I've put a lot of money in my defence. I had, I have uh, Trent, I have Dinia as well. I mean, that's nearly 13.5 million. That's huge, a huge chunk, um, which has led me to go <clears throat> looking at Mitchell. I've looked at James Justin, who's fantastic value as well. And you're hoping that when, and this is a thing, when Ricardo Pereira does come back, for me, he's probably the most complete right back in the league. He had fantastic uh, output last season in terms of his attacking numbers. Castagna would probably move to left, so Justin will most likely see the bench. So for me, that's that was what I've been banking on, that if, if just obviously, if uh, Ricardo Pereira comes back, I can take Justin out. But um, look, I think you're looking at the top defenders. Castagna, as Rob said earlier, he's been fantastic. Really good going forward. Uh, Cresswell's a surprising one that's up there with points as well. Um, but I don't think that's sustainable. We know with West Ham that they're going to be up and down in terms of form. So my strategy has been the long-term game. Trent will come good. There's no doubt about it. Liverpool will come good. But is it better to have Robertson, who's a lot cheaper than him as well, about half a million cheaper? That's that's what I'm toying with at the moment. I mean, Trent's got 14 points. That's it at the moment. But the, the interesting ones are the two Villa defenders, Mings and Konza. And they're both centre-backs as well, but they've both uh, scored and assisted. Um, but I want to sort of touch on that. I wouldn't touch them at all. But, yeah, I wouldn't touch them at all. But that's this interesting <laughs> thing is that you look at Emi Martinez, though, as well. He's the highest rated. Look, the, the numbers are skewed because, again, yeah, penalty <laughs> save. I wouldn't touch him as well. I've gone for the, the sort of two-goalkeeper rotation, and I've never done that before. So last year I had... One very expensive goalkeeper. I believe I had, I think it was Allison, And he's a player, again, who I would avoid because it's just too much money to put in your defence when you're able to put, as Rob said, look at the options he's got in midfield and attack. There's a lot of goal-scoring midfielders, creating midfielders. You're going to get a lot of assists. And striking options this year are actually probably better than I can remember it for a long time. The, the lower-rated or lower-valued strikers are able to put the numbers up. I mean, Che Adams is one I thought who would be quite good. But um, I've gone for the McCarthy and the Nick Pope sort of uh i guess rotation um which has cost me an extra half a million but it's worked um you know pope got me he's got me a clean sheet mccarthy's got me a couple um so that's kind of the, the where i'm going but you've got to look at um Geiter from palace i'm just going to draw up his his fixtures here because i've got them here so he's got brighton a team that's leaking a lot of goals they are scoring a few though fulham wolves leeds and burnley and only owned by 4.6 percent valued at 5 million he's definitely one you, you could consider i think um going forward but in terms of defense i think you don't want to be there with i mean rob's tactic is obviously two four million rated guys i think i want a bit more in my defense i think i'd put a bit more but for your goalkeeper you can afford to have a four and a half million valued goalkeeper and and get away with it because a lot of the well firstly a lot not many teams are keeping clean sheets but there's a lot of shots and you know, there's a lot of opportunities for keepers to pick up extra points. Yeah, look, to kind of wrap up on the defender talk, um, 
we've spoken that there's a lot of kind of the cheaper options that have performed better so far from what we've seen in the season. The top four right now, the kind of newbie Castagna has come in only 5.8, top scorer with 28 points. Um, you have Cresswell, who's played well the last couple weeks. Again, he's 4.9 million with 24 points. You have Saiz from Wolves, again, 24 points, only 5.1 million. And then we have Ing, or Ming sorry, with 5.1 million and again, 23 points. It, the one thing that I've mentioned before is like, if we want to have our attacking kind of fullbacks be some of our defenders, it might be a good idea to be looking at that kind of ICT score. Now, if we had to rank what we thought that they would be, you'd probably assume that Trent Alexander-Arnold, the likes of Andy Robertson would be number one. Could either of you hazard a guess of who actually is number one? You tell me. It's, oh, it's, let me have a guess. Let me have a guess. Is it Cresswell? No, it's Reese James from Chelsea. Yeah. What? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, and he, and he's, yeah, and he's 5.1 million. You're not too far off there with Cresswell. He was third. So, again, you're looking at some of these cheaper options that are impacting the game while we may not think that they would now the issue with Reese James might be obviously Shilwell is injured for this game but if he comes back full fitness he might not get as many games when it comes to the right back because and now they kind of have Aspen Laqueta as well so it's a difficult one there because you want someone that's starting every game the other thing I want to kind of go back to is just what you mentioned with your goalkeeper strategy their hater is that's one of the key talking points that people have is do you pick the one goalkeeper or do you go for two personally i go for the one goalkeeper because it means i have less of a headache to make i have so many decisions regardless so that knowing who my goalkeeper is i'll kind of keep it there now i have gone for martinez and even though he's played very well and he's had a 82 percent save or save from all the different shots that he's been um targeted with um there's one thing that you do have to remember is that you do get a point for every three saves that you make. So if Villa are shoring up the defense, now they've been on a great run, so there's no, it's not a guarantee that's going to continue. But if he's still making the amount of saves that he does, I think it's still a decent option. Personally, I don't think you need to waste another half a million on the second goalkeeper. Um, because again, like we said, there's so many goals that are going in and it's all around the league. I think you'd be almost wasting your money a little bit, especially those people that might be going for the more higher rated goalkeepers. I don't think it's worth it at this point because like we've seen, the defenses just haven't looked up to par. This is probably going to change. It's probably going to regress back to the mean at some point because the amount of goals is just unsustainable. Like I said, the conversion rate is so high, but again, we have to give it a couple more weeks to see. Is this just Kieran, quickly? Yeah, the conversion rate is high. Does that suggest to you that actually goalkeepers are making more mistakes? I, mean, I don't know if you've got I, statistics. I, I don't know if it's that the goalkeepers are making more mistakes or if it's that the defenders are making more mistakes. If the chances are just more clear cut chances, because like I said, the shots are going down from the previous years. So without kind of kind of actually looking at the game footage and seeing what's going on. For me, it seems like if it's less shots, but there's more goals, then there has to be more quality opportunities that are happening. 
for me, then that kind of comes down to the defending. Like, when would you have seen early on in one weekend, one team losing 6-1 and another team losing 7-2? And of those two teams not being a relegation team. You just have to look at United's goals conceded, and that tells you, doesn't it? Uh, but yeah. I've, I've got an answer for it. Uh, and the answer for me is that the reason why there's more goals being scored is because no one's had a pre-season. So the teams that have had pre-seasons have been tighter. And they've actually scored more goals. And the top teams that haven't had a pre-season have shipped goals like you wouldn't believe. So this is why we're seeing the statistical averages going up. So I would personally not pay too much attention to it. Uh, I would rather look long-term and see where the mean point's going to be. And I totally agree with Haydar. One of the things I always do is I have two goalkeepers that I can rotate. It's really, really important that week to week, if your team, if your main goalkeeper is playing Manchester City, Liverpool, even United when they're firing, you're playing the big teams. I don't want my goalkeeper coming up against Harry Kane anytime soon or Son. It's really important, especially when you look at the pricing structure. There's no real value at the top ends with Allison or Edison or those kind of goalkeepers. But you get a whole ton of goalkeepers at 4.5 million who are all mid-table pl uh, players. And what you will find is that even when they play games where even if they score uh, concede goals, they will make a significant amount of saves. Nick Pope being the biggest example of that. Now, I've stayed away from Nick Pope this year because he's too expensive for me. Uh, and I've gone for uh, Ryan and McCarthy, both at 4.5 million. I think £9 million for your goalkeepers means that you don't lose anything in midfield or attack. And it allows me every game to look at who the opponent is and I pick my goalkeeper on who they're actually playing as opposed to the goalkeeper themselves. To me, it makes no difference which one it is. It's just I don't want to play against one of those teams that can hit you for six or seven every week and that can happen and if, if you kind of if you price down for the second goalkeeper and there are you know four million pound goalkeeper that doesn't play at all if you then get an injury that week to that goalkeeper and he doesn't start is zero points from your goalkeeper straight away that's my biggest yeah. tip with goalkeepers is have two goalkeepers that you can rotate because they're not yeah. expensive enough to not rotate them yeah, that's it's a good option. I think it's always going to be those ones that you see some people will pick the one and just stick with it. Others go for the two. And I guess the issue that I, some people do have with the two is they often rotate them and rotate them wrongly. And then that's kind it's of the, the game. That's that's what it's, the, it's, like, it's like the captain, isn't it? Picking your captain. You know, I always yeah, put the wrong true. captain every week. Every week I play something he gets, you know, you could have a Jack Grealish on your bench, couldn't you? If you put if you yeah, made him captain that week. <laughs> You know, you'd have 50 points. So it, it, it's sort of law. First week, I had Salah as my captain. He scored a hat-trick and I got lucky. But I think it's the same with your goalkeepers. You, you know, you want your goalkeeper to be playing at least an opponent that statistically maybe doesn't score as many goals. And that's great if you're playing a Palace or a Burnley or any of the teams that kind of get rooted towards, the, say, the bottom five of the division as the, as the season goes on. That becomes a kind of statistical gamble that's worth it rather than having a second goalkeeper that won't even get you a point because they're not playing. That's the harsh reality of it because it's everyone seems to be 4.5 million and that's about it. Nick Pope has gone up to five this year and that's why I stayed away from him. So I agree. Five and a half. Bro. Yeah, well, see, that extra million to me is, is too much. I think, you know, if you're going to go from 4.5 yeah. to 5.5, he, he statistically was brilliant last year, makes lots of saves, gets clean sheets. But then you're relying on Burnley to have good, solid form themselves for that to, to replicate itself. There's too many goalkeepers at 4.5, 4.6, 4.7 
that you can pair up and still not feel it in the pocket. And that is always the thing for fancy league managers about, do I save a little bit back week to week? I've done that before. I'd like to have a million pound in my bank account all the time. Wouldn't we all? You know, and that, I use yeah. that million if there's an injury next week rather than just having zero. But those uh, having goalkeepers at 4.5 million allows you to do that and gives you an extra choice every week. Yeah. I think the next key kind of talking point comes to the midfield because like we mentioned, there's a lot of the kind of bigger scores are coming from the midfield. Now, we've spoken about some of them already. We've spoken about the likes of Kevin De Bruyne and not kind of being back and we'll kind of delve into that one. Um, we spoke about kind of Mo Salah that he's been one of the kind of consistent players and he's been one of those that's been worth that high value like you said with Harry Kane um, and then we've also spoken about James Rodriguez who are kind of the three that we'll kind of mainly look at. In terms of Mo Salah, is he one of those players that Mo, a lot of fantasy players just have to have in their team right now, Hater, because again even when they lose he seems to be the one that's coming up to score the goals. I think I, I read somewhere that when when Mane doesn't play, Salah's better. He's the one that becomes the one with the most attacking output in terms of goals. Um, look, my mistake last year, I'm just trying to think about what I've done. I've changed my strategy this year. I've had two, the first game week and last game the last game week just passed, had really good game weeks. But the other two, I've had really, really poor ones. What I was doing wrong last year was I kept chopping and changing my my, I guess my star signing. Uh, so I, I was bringing in De Bruyne. Then some weeks I was changing and bringing in Salah. So I was, I was changing it per game week. Uh, and in the end, that was messing me up. So I think when you look at Salah, yes, 12.3 is a massive, massive chunk. And I don't know how Rob's managed to fit him with Kane and with Son. So I'm, I'm shocked at that. But um, for me, he's about as close as you get to being a must-have. I said the same for Trent, and I probably got that wrong. Looking at the big, I guess the big boys, yes, Bruno's ten and a half million uh, pound rated, hasn't really hit the heights we expected him. De Bruyne hasn't done the same. Mane's been out obviously with COVID, so looking towards Salah, I think that he's been fantastic, and I think he's someone that everyone needs to have because I think he's always up there as well in terms of captain choice. The problem when you have someone like Salah is that it does obviously hamstring you in other areas. For me, if I have him in, then my defense is going to look a lot, a lot less sort of meaty, I suppose. Um, so I think he's the main one. But I also do want to talk about Zaha because he's matched his goals tally from last season. I believe it's three. He seems to be playing a, a bit more of an advanced role in terms of last season. I felt he was chasing back a bit too much, whereas I think Palace have rejigged it a little bit. Eze's come in and he looks like he's he's going to offer something. He looks fun to watch as well. But looking at Zaha, I think rated at 7.2 million as well, or valued at 7.2 million. That's a fantastic return. If, as Rob was saying, you know, you've got a lot of expensive players and you want to bring in someone that's going to be a bit of a differential. But now that he's mentioned Barkley, I can't get that out of my head. So that, I'm thinking 5.9 and it just never really occurred to me. I was just like Grealish all the way. Uh, we've got a comment here from Reese saying... Son has been class. I have Son, Kane, Bamford, Calvert-Lewin in my squad. Yeah, I've got um, Calvert-Lewin, Bamford, and not the other two, which I probably should. But um, looking at that midfield, I have been disappointed, like I said, with the bigger signings. I think the two lads that Leeds have been interesting, uh, Click and um, Costa as well. But again, it's about how sustainable are they? And I'm just 
I know with Salah that at the end of the season, he'll give you the returns that you want and he'll be up there with the goal scoring charts. And that's what I sort of hedging my bets on. So while you should look in the short time, I'm definitely playing the long game with him and I'm keeping him in because each week he's either going to be my vice captain or he'll be my captain. Yeah, yeah. The, the numbers say that all the way through a fantasy league for last year. And that's what you have to look at. So Salah, I, I think when you look at the premium players in midfield, Last year, this is what I did, but I've not done it this year, is I had Salah and Mane in my team until one of them was injured or dropped out. And then my next options were two from three from City. So it would either be De Bruyne, as it was last year, Sterling. But the big differential was Mares. Mares actually got more points than Sterling up to the halfway point of the season. And wasn't even starting games. He was getting assists off the bench and goals off the bench, giving huge returns at eight and a half million. It's, uh, you know, he was a premium player, but four million cheaper than the other players, which meant you could do other things with your squad. This year, I've still gone for Salah. And I I did start the season with Salah and Mane, and they both had points returns. But I, I lost Mane when uh, he was uh, in quarantine for COVID and, and I brought in De Bruyne. But there's so many good midfield options this year. Like the one player we've not mentioned at all is Aubameyang. Yeah. Now, Arsenal yeah. are going to be good this year. Arsenal are going to score goals and Arsenal are going to be challenging for the top four. 100%. Leaving out Aubameyang is probably my biggest decision at the moment. And I have left him out because there are way too many uh, good differentials at a good price point. We talked about two there, Ross Barkley being one who's going to be a number 10 this year. And Hamas Rodriguez, who I think is going to get a whole bunch of points across the season, even if he doesn't start the, the Merseyside derby because of his travelling. But then you've got really good cheap alternatives to make up the fifth player. And for me, I've brought in Anguisa from Fulham, uh, a player who was out on loan before, had a really good season last year and has come in and looked dangerous this year. And then the other differential, we said St Maximum for, for Newcastle, we've seen that he's fit now. It, it's It's too easy. It's too easy to have five quality midfielders with three quality attackers and just chip away at your defence a little bit and still have a really strong defence. So it's easier, I think, for fantasy league managers this year with premium players because you can fit more in because the next tier is a, is a much lower than it used to be. You're not bringing in £9 million players to go with your 12. You're bringing in four and fives to come in with your 12s and then you can balance out. For instance, Jorginho is 5.2 million yeah. for Chelsea and takes every penalty that they that they get. So he, he's another one that you could just bench, have him sat on your bench and be a perfect player to just come in. He's either going to get you two points every week or he might get you eight or ten if he gets a penalty. So lots of options this year, whereas in previous years I had trouble filling my front three with premium players. This year I think you've just got multiple options. Yeah. Something, can, I, can I add something to that, Kieran, as well? Yeah, too, go ahead. Had, last year, my my weapon was uh, Mason Greenwood, four and a half million pound rated. So he's all, also shifted back. Now, United, I wouldn't choose anyone from United right now, not even Bruno, because although he might get a penalty, United might get a penalty, it's just, United are just so unpredictable. We don't know what we're going to see. And quite frankly, I wouldn't touch any United players with a barge pole. But um, Greenwood at seven and a half million as well is shaking it up completely because when i saw his price i thought he might go up a million or two but the fact he's got three million as rob was saying those options there but, but it with wouldn't greenwood, make greenwood, greenwood and we don't sorry just to jump in with greenwood at seven and a half 
Do you go with Greenwood at seven and a half, who will play most of the games, will score goals, but will have time out of the team and United's form dictating that as well? Or do you play Brewster at 4.5 million? Yeah, exactly. Who's played every game, who's going to score loads of goals at Sheffield United and will be a huge differential. That's the difference. I had Mason yeah. in my team towards the end of the season because he was scoring. I don't like having United players in my team at all. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I jinx them. Every yeah. time I have one of them in my team, that's the end of their career or something. That happened to <laughs> Owen Hargreaves once upon a time. Uh, you know, and he went. Uh, I look at it. You've got there's so many players in that kind of 4.5 million to kind of. Adrian Neto is another one. Six Rob. million, exactly. So there's From players Wolves. there. There's players there who will not just get more game time, but will be an equal threat. Mason goes off at seven and a half million and gets 20 goals, and that's fantastic. But I just think there's other players who are going to compete with him this year, but be in that lower bracket. And then you have to decide whether you go with Harry Kane, and in the mid range like someone like Danny Ings and then obviously the the lad Watkins obviously uh, uh, at Villa being a, a good price uh, balancing again isn't it yeah absolutely look it's we have the comment there that James Rodriguez or Tross, yeah Trossard's a, a decent one we've seen him take quite a lot of shots especially in that Lewin. United game yeah. it's the easiest money yeah. this year 7.9 million That's yeah the easiest striker money this year yeah, look, I guess going to kind of the strikers because we mentioned that it hasn't been too difficult to get some strikers that are scoring big points. When you look at it, there's been nine strikers that have 23 points or more in four weeks, which is crazy. Now, obviously, the top two that we've already spoken about, we've, well, the top one really we've spoken about is Harry Kane. So we'll kind of go past there, but just to hit on kind of Calvert-Lewin now, I've been... I've been on this for since kind of week one or week two, talking to haters. Like you look at the fixtures that Everton had and it just made sense. Now, the difference, I think he has scored in every single game he's played in the Premier League this season. He's getting in those positions that is allowing him to score both the kind of nice goals, but also the scruffy ones. I mentioned in a podcast we did yesterday or the day before that, um, even earlier in the season, I think it was either Richardson or James Rodriguez took a shot and it was just barely going wide and he's there to tap it in. So he's getting in the positions that you want kind of your main striker to be in. And like you said, at the price that he is, it's kind of a no-brainer this year that he has to be in your team. And it's been reflective in fantasy owners because I think it's over 40% of people currently own Calvert-Lewin in their team. So what do you think about that one, Hader? It's so long that you haven't had Calvert Lewin in your team. You no, I brought him in. I brought him in two weeks ago. Um, I just look stepping away from fantasy football and my perception of the player. And I've said this to Rob before, I think, on the podcast, and I said it the other day that I thought I didn't think he had the killer instinct to be a top striker. I thought he'd pop up with a few goals here and there. He reminded me, and this is going to sound so stupid now, people are going to clip this up, but I just looked at him and I thought of Danny Welbeck when he first started out, that he'd score some some good goals. I just didn't think that he had the, he was clinical enough. And you talk about those scrappy goals, and something that Oli said to Martial, obviously we're all United fans, he said, I want you to get in the box, I want you to get across the keeper like he did against Chelsea first game of the season last year and score those sort of goals. What you've seen with Calvert-Lewin is the value is phenomenal. I mean, I believe he started on 7.5, he's gone up point. Um, 0 0.4, 0 0.4 in the space of what four games? It's incredible. Um, but there are a few other strikes I do want to look at is I think Mope is one which definitely 
surprises a few. I was just looking earlier. Last season, he scored 10 goals, which was which is a great return for a club. You wouldn't say Brighton are exactly a club you expect to pull up trees. He's He's been up there. Callum Wilson was my pick for the um, dark horse of the season or signing of the season. I just thought it was a fantastic sign. If he ever hit his form, he did with Bournemouth a couple of seasons ago. Newcastle got a really good signing there. Um, valued at 6.5. I'm not sure on Ings this year, Rob, if I'm being honest, because I had Danny Ings last year and he was that, essentially that sort of um, Callum Wilson or Mope value player. I believe he was 6.5 or maybe he was less. I can't really remember, but at 8.5, I know he's got 24 points, but I'm not too sure. I I don't see him having the same season. Now that, again, might come back to bite me, but um the surprising one really is <laughs> he's nodding already. He's he, he's put that up already for later on. But the one that surprised me the most is probably Bamford. We speak we Kim, we've spoken about Bamford how many times on the weekly show? Probably yeah. every single week we talk about him. Massive confidence player. You just you just thought that he'd come to Premier League, he'd struggle to score, but he's been very, very good. Again, five I believe he's five point nine now, so he's gone up in value. He's a player that I've got in my team. But the ever-present is Jamie Vardy. He's the one that he takes penalties at Leicester. He's the one that seems to get better every single year, but he doesn't get enough assists. If you look at Harry Kane's assists compared to Vardy, Vardy will score goals, but he's not getting assists now. There's a lot of lot of strikers there who will score goals, but I feel like the differential this year is actually the strikers that can create as well. So for me, I've got Vardy in there, but I'm going to be looking to bring him out. I think looking at it, Kane is a must, Calvert-Lewin's a must, and then you just got one more spot where, depending on your funds, you could go, let's say, like Rob, like with an Ings, or you could go down to a Wilson. So some some fantastic options, and this is not even including, you know, the likes of Lacazette, um, Martial, who are players as well who you'd expect maybe not Lacazette, but Martial to get more goals. So very very interesting with the striking options and um, some incredible returns very early on. Yeah, I totally agree with that as well about shot creation and, and uh, creation in other areas of the pitch. So that's exactly why I play Danny Ings, because Danny Ings will create his own chance. He'll also be part of the team play and he'll also get those opportunities for other people where he'll get, he'll win himself points for assists. Uh, and for me, he, he went up a, a big jump this year in terms of 8.5 million. But you can absolutely bet that Southampton have a good game. He scores. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to think about that one. If Leicester win games, who scores? Vardy. Vardy, yeah. yeah. So so if if you're going to buy your way into a team uh, and you look at what the differential is, it's generally that. It's about who has the success on the pitch that day. Harry Kane is that player for Tottenham. That's why you've got to have him. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I think at the moment, if a striker scores forever and it's Dominic Calvert-Lewin, it's not going to be someone else. Richarlison's obviously the, the extra player there from who's uh, played in midfield before. And then you look at other teams who are, say, mid-table, and I think Southampton counting that kind of block. You know, Adams is OK, but the player who's going to score you the points is Danny Ings. He's going to score 20 goals this season across the season. It doesn't matter. He won't. He'll have dry patches. There'll be weeks where two or three weeks he'll get you two points, two points, two points, and the temptation will be to pull him out. But he will be a guy, I think, after the golden boot right at the end of the season. And that's how I always try and look at my strikers. I think we're blessed this year to have five, six, seven strikers. Taking a, uh, a bummy yang out of that and putting him in midfield still means you can have three elite strikers together 
and then this incredible midfield cast behind them who are all creators and goal scorers. And, and I think it's the easiest year for many, many years to do that, to balance that up. In years gone by, you've not been able to do that. You've only been able to choose one or two premium players. This year, as you've heard my team there, I think I've got seven or eight premium players in my front in my front eight. Yeah. And I've never been able to fit them in before. And this year you can fit them in without even putting in a Brewster. Brewster's yeah, probably the difference. Yeah, Brewster's four and a half million. I mean, Brewster I just want to... Like, he may pay like 10 games and score six goals. And it'll go, go from 4.5 to five very, very quickly. And at five, that's when everyone will go, do I push the trigger and bring him in? But that's probably the right thing to do with the kid. Because if you bring him in now, yeah. he could have 10 games where he does nothing. And then you've got this third attacker that does nothing. It's better to have a striker who's got the numbers in his history behind him who then give you balance. I agree with what you said about Vardy. He doesn't get enough assists for me, and that's a problem. But you know that if Leicester play him well, then he'll score. But if Leicester it's play cool. badly and don't... If Leicester lose six in a row or, or don't win for six games, you can absolutely bet that Jamie Vardy gets your maximum of two points for all of those games. And that's a problem then. You'd better having a, a, a striker who maybe like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Everton might lose to Liverpool this weekend. But I've got a really good feeling that Everton are going to score against that Liverpool defence because they just do not look good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's like there's been so many different options. Like I mentioned, there was nine players that have already scored 23 or more points. You have like the new players with the likes of Callum Wilson, who plays for Newcastle, who has a pretty decent matchup this week against the United defence. That's one where I kind of focused in on some of my strikers as I've looked at where or who they're playing against and just what we're kind of going to finish today on is the best matchups that we could look at for certain players um i'll mention i'll go through kind of each day that the matches are on and see if there's any that kind of jump out at you and then we can discuss that um before we finish up today so first we go on to the saturday a couple big games so obviously we have the merseyside derby we've spoken about a lot of those players already you've chelsea against southampton Man City against Arsenal, and then Newcastle against Manchester United. Hader, I'll start with you. Is there any other games there that kind of stick out to you in terms of specific players? I know we've kind of mentioned about a lot of the Everton and Liverpool players already, so maybe one of from the other three games that sticks out at you. It's going to sound so hypocritical now, because I've just said I don't think Danny Ings is good value, but Danny Ings against Chelsea's defence definitely stands out to me. I mean, we haven't really touched on any of the Chelsea players. You look at the players they brought in, and I, I wouldn't put the only one I probably would consider putting in once there are two players actually up to full fitness probably would be Ziek because I think he's going to create a lot. Although again, there's no history to suggest that, but he'd be for me, he'd be kind of a punt. The the other one's Pulisic. I think he's the one that you would probably think would would come in. But um, looking at Chelsea defense and Danny Ings, that's definitely the one that stands out. I'm not sure on Chelsea's forward line at the moment um verner we haven't even mentioned and he's someone i thought who would hit the ground running kai Havertz is rated or valued about 8.5 million again that's a massive outlay for someone when when you've seen the players that rob's reeled off in midfield it's definitely not one that i would consider so ings there i would even probably bring in mccarthy who i've got ready on the bench to play in goal Carl Walker-Peters is another player I have in my team as well who's he had a really good start to the season. Now, the risk is you double up on two Southampton players against a top six side. That's the risk you take. Um, that's the one that stands out to me. 
I wouldn't do that at all. But uh, that's all that stands out to me. And then looking over at United, I'm I'm quite worried for United in this game. Sort of taking out the emotion from it. We don't know what's happening with United's defence, and I think what Newcastle have actually been quite good at as they've been quite good and they, they play quite deep anyway and that's what United struggle with but sort of transitioning and Callum Wilson looks a real threat for me and I, I just I just see a few goals in that I don't see a clean sheet so for me Wilson is the one that stands out in that game against United um, we don't know we think we'll see Greenwood up front we don't know who you'll play in the front line for United yeah and then probably Danny Ings and Alex McCarthy against Chelsea Perfect. Um, so then just to finish off with the Sunday and the Monday fixtures, because again, it kind of rolls into one as there's only there's the six games there. So on Sunday, we have the Sheffield United against Fulham. I think we've mentioned Brewster already there. Um, Palace and Brighton is a tricky one. We have Spurs, West Ham, Leicester, Aston Villa, West Brom, Burnley, and then Leeds versus Wolves. Is there any of those games that kind of stick out to you, Rob, that fantasy owners should be looking at specific players to kind of target in the last kind of six games of the Premier League. Um, Yeah, we talked about defenders, didn't we, earlier on? And and I think the games, the West Brom, Burnley and Palace, Brighton games have got clean sheets written all over it. Yeah, I think you've got got nil-nil and nil-nil jumping out of you there, those two games. Uh, Of course, that might not be the case with the way this Premier League (laughs) season has started. We know it's been uh, all over the shop. But I think when you're looking at... uh, trying to exploit games this uh, this week. I personally, I had Havertz and Werner in my team. So I've had them for those first few weeks and their returns have been nowhere near their values. So I managed to get rid of Havertz and bring in James Rodriguez and balance my whole midfield out. Oh, just so you didn't have James in no, earlier? No, no, I've just, just, I've just brought him in. I've just brought You've been him missing in. out, Rob. Because I, I, no, I, I, no, he was one of my tips from day one. And I, like we've said before, I didn't follow my own tip, you know, because you, you kind of look at it. And I sat, I always try and sit with the player that I go for first. So Havertz was the first player I went for and I didn't sell him because he scored that hat-trick, obviously, in the League Cup as well in the middle of that run. But he's not really produced the returns. Now, this week at home, you could see against Southampton, Chelsea could have a great week and you'll probably get Werner and Havertz both scoring. But I've been able to move them two out and bring in Rodriguez, bring in Son and bring in Harry Kane. So I look at those three being bigger points winners over the next six to ten games weeks. Even if Havertz scores a hat-trick this week, even if Werner scores a hat-trick and I'll be sick, I won't feel bad about it because I still think that those three players... And then off the back of that, I was able to bring in Ross Barkley as my fourth out of my five midfielders. Uh, so that's the that's the kind of decision. And I think the big decision this week for people is do you use that wild card now before 11 o'clock on Saturday, which is a, the huge decision that everyone has to make. I know lots of people used it in game week one, but it's always about not using it for a knee jerk and also remembering that you do get an extra wild card in the January transfer window. Yeah, we know it's it's only coming up now to October, November. You can yeah, use your wild months. you can use your wild card, and you just got to wait two months to use it again. And I did that last year. I used my wild card in game week six, and I used my wild card on the last day of the January transfer window because I wanted to see who people were buying and Bruno Fernandez. So that was yeah. exactly how I used my my uh, cards around that time. That's the decision this week, I think, for people to I know. Do you now get rid of the players that you went with at the early 
start like I did with Werner and Havertz? I think the answer to that is yes, because there are so many good options, so many attractive players that you could think, yep, these are going to give me real long-term numbers. Very good. I think we've uh, got people inundated with tips, players. They're probably thinking, how am I going to fit all these players into my Rob's team? giving away all of his yeah. secrets. Rob's doing that at the beginning. He's literally giving away done. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just encourage everybody, get your comments in during the week. We can answer them on the show. Like, subscribe. You can find this on anywhere, really. You can find your podcast, Spotify, Hater, you know all, all the other right, right. So, so there, there's all of them. There's yeah, all of these. All of but yeah, just to kind of finish up, just want to thank Rob for being with us today. Again, thank you, Hater, for joining us on as a weekly guest on this uh fantasy football show. Um, and we will see you next Friday. <laughs>